Thank you, Keith. Uh, good morning, Crosspoint. Um, I'd like to welcome you guys to, uh, this is the first Sunday service in October, the second in the fall. Um, it's amazing that this year it has gone so fast. Uh, so welcome, uh, especially those individuals that are still uh, joining us online. Uh, welcome. I hope that this day is a blessing to you. Um, and I usually like to, before we even get into any type of scripture or anything, uh, ask for the Lord's direction. So if you would pray with me, um, that would be uh, great. So let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, we come before you, Lord, uh, to thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be able to be here today, Father. Uh, for allowing us to be able to uh, be present, Lord, in a place that, uh, that seeks to do your will, Father, and honor you in everything that we do, Father. I pray that as we enter into uh, this, uh, this message, Father, that your Holy Spirit will be with us, that your Holy Spirit would open up our hearts and our minds, Father, to listen to the message that you have laid out for us, Lord, uh, that you would remove any obstacle in our hearts and in our minds uh, so that we'd be sensitive to your uh, teaching, Father. Uh, I pray for everyone that is here present, Father, and those that are away, uh, that you would be with them and that you would bless them, Father, uh, and those that are still coming. Uh, I pray, Father, that you would bring, him, bring them here safely, Father, that we may rejoice together as a small portion of your church, Father, in this world. Uh, be with us, Father. Speak through, uh, through this message, Father, uh, and glorify yourself uh, in us, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so like he said, my name is Luis Robles. I'm uh, one of the elders that serves here at Crosspoint. Um, it's really an honor and privilege to be here. Uh, but at the same time, I, it, for me, it's always a daunting task. It's always a daunting task to open up God's scripture uh, and try to teach it and preach it in a way that is consistent with the way the scripture shows it. So I hope that as you guys hear this message, um, that in, in the bottom of my heart, it's really trying to take what the scripture says and I try to leave my opinions completely out of it. Because my opinion doesn't matter. What really matters when we're studying scripture is what God says. Uh, that is the most important thing for us to always remember. Um, so that is always my, my, my goal. And I trust God that it comes out uh, in a way where it's his message and not mine. But uh, the title of today's message, I've entitled it Embracing Our Weakness. Now, let me ask you guys a question. How many of us would think that that's kind of a contradicting title? Embracing Our Weakness. You know, in our society... You know, employers are always looking for the best people to employ, for the best skills, for the best abilities. Anywhere you go, they're looking for the top-notch individuals. Um, and we're going to look at Paul um, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, that he kind of turns this thing upside down a little bit. Uh, it's kind of like a paradox, right? A paradox is like a story that seems to be contradictory and, you know, when you're looking at it. But then as you d dive deeper into it, you tend to see that it kind of makes sense. It kind of makes sense when you look at it from God's perspective, right? From a human perspective, how many of us would like to hire the weakest center in our, in our baseball team, right? An unprepared individual, perhaps, let's say a doctor that never went to school. You know, there's stories about those types of individuals in our society that went uh, and practiced uh, medicine without ever being a doctor. So, you know, if we think at it from that perspective, well, yes, it sounds kind of contradictory, but uh, that's not our, our goal today. Our goal today is to look at Paul's life um, and his example in 2 Corinthians and try to dive into it a little bit 
to, um, to see if we can extract that message that would make sense when we look at it from a spiritual perspective. From a human perspective, this is contradictory. There's no way this would happen. But from a spiritual perspective, I think it'll make sense once we get to that. I would ask that as we go through the message, that you keep this in mind a little bit. That we consider the possibility that our weakness may be the key to unlocking our usefulness to God. Let me say this again. That we consider the possibility, as we go through this message, that we consider the possibility that our weakness and our lack of ability may be the key to unlocking God's usefulness, our usefulness in God's ministry. So if you would turn your Bibles over, if you have your Bibles and turn them over to uh, Corinthians chapter 12, this is kind of towards the end of a discourse that is going on in Corinthians. Uh, this discourse begins in chapter 10, kind of goes through about the middle of chapter 13. Um, and, I'll kinda, and I'm kind of read somewhere in between uh, because this is where we're going to get this statement from Paul. Uh, we could actually start reading from verse 22 on chapter 10, but we'll just, uh, for the sake of time and for the sake of getting into our message, we'll read the first 10 verses of chapter 12. And in chapter 12, Paul says, It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I do not know, or whether out of the body, I do not know. God knows such a one was cut up to the, caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows how he was cut up into the paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a man I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. For though I, am, for, for though I might uh, desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will, re I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak then I am strong. And here we begin to see, right, Paul introduces this topic of that he would rather rejoice and boast about his infirmities, okay? But there's something going on in this, and we have to kind of put it, try to put it in its proper perspective. We, you know, we, we got to try and put it in light of the entire uh, scenario that's going on here in Corinthians. Chapter 10 through about the middle of chapter 13, Paul is actually giving a an argument in his defense. What has happened in Corinthians is that there's, uh, Paul was being accused of a lot of different things. And if you guys take some time 
Uh, I would recommend that you guys take some time and read chapter 10 very carefully because, you know, it sounds like he's kind of uh, um, uh, giving this, uh, this dialogue uh, where he's kind of contradicting other people. Um, and, and if you read it carefully, you'll see it. And especially if you get a couple of different versions because some versions don't do it justice than others. But if you guys take some time to read that, you'll, you'll, you'll see all those issues. So what's going on is that Paul is being um, accused of being a false prophet or a fake prophet. Okay, that's one of the areas, that, that's one of the things that's happening here. Um, some, some scholars believe that the first, chap- the first nine chapters kind of don't fit in with chapter 10 because if you read chapter 9, then you go into chapter 10, it seems to be like a discontinuance of the topic. But really what happens is that a lot of scholars believe that what was going on is that the first nine chapters, Paul is actually speaking to the people in 1 Corinthians who actually had repented. And then he switches his focus over to the people that are attacking him. So if you look at it from that perspective, it might make a little bit more sense when you see the transition from chapter 9 to chapter 10. Okay, so just giving you guys just a little bit of a little background there for you guys to look at. Okay, uh, but who are these accusers that Paul is talking about? Okay, uh, uh, the Bible doesn't really say who they are, although there are some references in, in chapter 10, uh, 11, and part of 12 that gives us an idea of what's going on in that, in, in, in that whole, uh, whole uh, scenario. But Paul describes these guys as some people who have declared themselves to be like these super apostles, Apostles that kind of boasted about themselves, that said, oh, I, hey, did you like what I did? And they kind of used all of that whole uh, pride, you, you know, environment to be able to say, um, kind of talk good about themselves. They kind of, you know, prepped each other up and said, hey, you know, you did good, but I did better kind of thing, you know. So it, it, there, was a lot of, there was a lot of boasting in there. Paul describes those guys as super apostles. They believed to be superior than Paul. They thought that Paul was a false apostle, that he kind of went in there and kind of intervened within their work. And there's all kinds of references to all of that stuff. Um, Again, if you guys go back and read those portions, you'll begin to see these little comments that Paul makes. Uh, A lot of people believe that there were these Judaizers. Judaizers in those days were people or were, were Jews who have become believers who began to kind of mix a message of grace and law and, and kind of mash them together. And you see a lot of people in our society and a lot of different religions talking about uh, that you have to do certain things in order to be saved, right? Where, well, you know, Keith talked about that, right? Lord Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross to pay for our sins and salvation is by grace and grace alone. And there is absolutely nothing that any one of us can do on our own strength or abilities to be able to attain that grace, Right? So there, there was these people who were kind of mixing the message. They were kind of shoving it through. Why do I say that? Because if you go to uh, chapter 11, verse 4, if you, go, if you have your Bibles open and you go back to verse 11, chapter 11, verse 4, there's a little reference there. And, then, uh, and it says, uh, For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you received a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well, you may well put up with it. If you read the first two chapters, he's talking about these individuals who are, making, who are 
having this message that is contradictory to what Paul taught the Corinthians. And that reference right there is really close to what was happening in Galatians. Right? In Galatians, Paul writes to the Galatians, I, man, I, I am perplexed, I am marveled that you have so quickly turned away from the gospel that I have taught you to a different gospel. And he says, not that there is a different gospel, but there are some who pervert the gospel of Christ. So there's a reference to those types of people who are teaching that false gospel, that different gospel. The reason why I want to go through this background is because when we get to Paul's statement about what was going on, you know, why, why he would rather rejoice in his weakness is because he's, atta- he's defending himself from these accusers who thought they were above him, who thought they were these super individuals that can do whatever it is that, you know, that they wanted. So they accused him. They accused him of a bunch of different things. So Paul's credibility here is being challenged, which is crazy, right? Because, you know, one of the things that they accused him of? They accused him of being a coward. Pastor Paul being a coward? When you look at his history, what did he do? Right? When Christianity was beginning first to flourish, before he became a believer, what did he do? He went and he took letters of authority from the priest. And what did he do? He went out there and he chased people and he dragged them back to court. This guy wasn't, wasn't a weak individual. He was no coward. But if you go to verse, um, first couple of verses in chapter 10, we'll read a little bit here and we'll see what happens. So chapter 10, verse 1 says, Now I, Paul, this is where he begins his argument, his defense. This is where his defense begins. This is where he begins to to um, direct himself to these false teachers, to his accusers. This is where he begins his dialogue. And he says, Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. And listen to what he says. Who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold toward you. What they were accusing Paul of saying, Yeah, Paul seems to be really tough. You know, yeah, he writes these letters that are pretty, pretty harsh. If you, read, if you read 1 Corinthians, they're referring to 1 Corinthians. Pretty harsh letter, right? He was dealing with a bunch of stuff going on there. So he says, yeah, Paul's pretty tough when he writes his letters, but when he's here, when he's here with us, he's weak. He's weak. That, so he's beginning to kind of launch his defense. And it says, uh, but being absent and bold toward you, but I beg you, that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intended to be bold, because some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh, not only do they accuse them of being weak, but they accuse them of being worldly. They accuse them of being worldly. Because they said, uh, again, verse 3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons... Uh, of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. After, for pulling down uh, strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is, fu- is uh, fulfilled. Then verse 7 says, 
Do you look at things according to the outward appearance? If anyone is confident, convinced in himself that he is Christ, let him again consider this in himself. This is where he begins to kind of build that dialogue, that argument, because these individuals thought that they were in Christ and they were far superior than Paul was. And Paul, you know, says, well, so am I. If they think they're in Christ, so am I. But if you continue reading, you'll find these references where they're accusing him of being weak. They're accusing him of being a coward. They're accusing him, uh, accusing him of interfering with their ministry. They're accusing him of not being prepared, not being properly um, uh, adequate. He's not, he wasn't adequate for the ministry. That's a lot of accusations against Paul, right? It's a lot of accusations against Paul. So his credibility is being targeted there. Now, Paul could have boasted on his credibilities. He could have pulled out his resume, right? He could have pulled out his resume and say, hey, you know, you say that, you know, that, that I'm not prepared, but here he is. If you, look at, if you, if you read Paul's history, <clears throat> he was a very well-prepared individual. He was a very well-prepared individual. He was, he was a Jew. He was a... a, a, a uh, you know, part of the Pharisees. He was a Pharisee. And to be a Pharisee, it wasn't something that you just became a Pharisee from one day to the next. There was a lot of, te- a lot of learning that went along with it. So he could have boasted on, on all of that. He could have come back and defended himself and said, okay, you're saying that I'm weak. I'm going to show you that I'm not. Even though he does begin to make some references in there about the fact that in his physical life, he had a lot of, a lot of a lot of difficulty. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten near death. He was left for dead a couple times. If you, if you read his story, there is no way that you can really look at it and say, Paul was a weak individual or that he was unprepared or that he wasn't capable of doing the task that God had given him of being the apostle to the Gentiles. He could have used all, pulled out his resume, but instead he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He doesn't pull out his, his degree. He could have. He said, hey, you know what? I got a doctorate in theology. Yeah, I got double masters. Hey, I'm the top notch, you know, in the crowd. He doesn't do that. He does not do that. If we go to chapter 11, and we read from, uh, let me see, let's start in verse 22. It says, are they Hebrews? Remember, these guys were, were, were acting like they were these super people. It says, are they Hebrews? It says, so am I. He could have boasted about his Hebrew heritage, right? He could have boasted about that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequently. In deaths, often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. You know why? 39 stripes. You know why? 39 stripes? Or 39 lashings? Because Allah in Deuteronomy did not permit 
an individual to be whipped more than 40. So these guys beat, beat them almost to, to the edge of the law that's outlined in, in Deuteronomy. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. Okay. He, he was in the deep, in the ocean, right? In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, cold, naked. Beside the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for the churches, who is weak and I am not weak, who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation. If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under Aretas, the king, was guarding the city of Damascus with a garrison desiring to arrest me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. And if you guys remember the story, right, he was there and they were telling him, Paul, don't, don't go out there. And they let him down the basket and he was able to escape. He brings out all of the stuff that he could use as his defense to contradict all of the accusations from these false prophets. But yet, what does he do? So I, could, I, could, I could glory in all these things, but I will not do that. So often he says that he will boast in his weakness. He will boast in his infirmities. That puts everything upside down, right? Is that the microphone, Ron? Um, so, this is better. So, so he decides to not do that. He decides to not use all of his physical, uh, you know, experience, everything that he went through, uh, and he decides to boast in the, in, in the Lord. Now, why is this such a contradictory topic in our society today, right? It, it, it's just contradictory. So Paul, now, now, now we're going to get into why uh, Paul would, would potentially do this. Um, th there's a couple of challenges that we have to kind of look at here in chapter 12, and that is that, uh, you know, Paul was given this thorn in the flesh. He talks about this thorn in the flesh, and it's kind of difficult to kind of uh, dive into that topic because it's a little bit controversial, the reality is, is that the first thing that I want to kind of say is that when Paul is talking about his weaknesses, he's not talking about weakness, temptations, or sin. He's not talking about any type of weakness in that manner. He's not talking about sin, you know, because sometimes people say, well, uh, the, you know, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, right? Trying to say that, okay, you know, sin kind of, kind of takes over our lives at times and we kind of give in to sin. And, you know, through that temptation, through that weakness. Uh, and although that is, that is something that, that God deals with, in this specific section, he's not talking about, about, about weakness dealing with sin. He's talking about a physical weakness, about a physical ability, about a physical challenge. 
that he's dealing with. Because when you look at weaknesses and infirmities, uh, and you kind of dive in, into that, you realize that it's talking about a physical, a physical ailment. Um, now, I'll say this just for you guys to kind of, you know, keep it in the back of your head. There are some scholars out there who believe that this stone in the flesh, a messenger from Satan, believe that there was some kind of demon, in, you know, demon that was kind, con- continually harassing Paul. That's kind of one of the, one of the positions that some people take. Um, and although that is certainly a probability, I think the entire portion of the text tells us that there was something physically going on with Paul. The Bible doesn't say really what it was. He does say that he asked the Lord three times to remove that thorn in the flesh. And three times the Lord said, no, my grace is sufficient. Why? Because Christ's power is manifested in, the, in his weakness. So that, that's, what, that, that's what I want to kind of, you know, um, uh, bring out is that it's not dealing with sin. It's not talking about a, a, a sinful weakness or a weakness in, in, in giving into temptation. This is talking about a physical ability. His thorn is really not identified other than him saying that is a messenger from Satan. And again, there's a lot of debate over what that could or could not be. I don't think it really, um, at this point, would be something that we would focus on. Um, but there's certainly possibilities in that area. Um, you, you know, but, but that's, not, that's not what we're going to get into today. Uh, his thorn is not identified. Um, uh, some scholars believe that it could have been his sight. That he was, that he was kind of having trouble with his sight. Uh, but the Bible doesn't really say what his, what his thorn was. Other than, that, other than that he had these weaknesses and that he has this difficulty. Physical uh, weakness and ability. Uh, so it was, it was physical in nature. Okay? Now, now we're going to get into the three points. All this to get into these three points of the reason why Paul chose to use this path of, I'm not going to say argument, but a path for his defense. And, the, and, and again, let's keep in mind that statement that I put up, in, up in, the, in, the, in the beginning. That we consider the possibility that our weakness, whatever physical ability we may have, that we think that God cannot use us because of that. that, that may, let's consider the fact that, that, that the possibility that that could be the one uh, thing that would unlock our usefulness to Christ. Okay? So Paul says this, that embracing our weakness will keep us humble. I can't put my degree out and say, hey, I got this degree. Hey, I got all this training. Hey, I went to here. Oh, I went to there. Oh, I went to there. doesn't mean that we shouldn't strive to learn and to develop but it just really means that that's not something that we should do. If we look at it again, let's say, uh, you know, he, he, he kind of goes into that and, and, uh, and he says that, uh, that, that this thorn in the flesh was given to him uh, so that he would not boast. To keep him from boasting. To keep him from saying, look at what I did. Like if his abilities were the ones that accomplished him to get that. Now, from a spiritual perspective, this thing becomes to make a little bit more sense, right? From a spiritual perspective, we begin to see that, it's not, that our weaknesses, God can use to manifest uh, all of these uh, abilities that are not really there. 
We have an example in the Old Testament of somebody who's proudful and thinks that they can do everything that they want, right? We have Nebuchadnezzar. I guess you guys, if you guys get a chance to read that, uh, I would recommend that you guys do that. We don't have time to kind of go through it because we, you know, we kind of ran out a little bit of time. But if you go to Daniel chapter 4, which is from 1 up to about 34 or so, there's this little uh, incident that happens with Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon. It's basically, basically the ruler of the world at that time. Most powerful nation at that time. Steps out one day, he looks across, he says, look at what my hands built. Look at what my hands built. And immediately the Bible says that he turned into a beast, some kind of a beast. We don't know what it was. It says that his hair became like feathers. His, ha- his nails became like claws. And that he would go and roam the earth for seven years. And you know when he stopped roaming? When he humbled himself and he acknowledged himself, he acknowledged that it wasn't him, that it was God who did that for him. So in our weaknesses, we can take that and say, if we, if we are able to accomplish certain tasks that we know that we're not capable of doing it because we have some challenge, then there's no room but to say, Lord, thank you. Right? Embracing our weaknesses will keep us humble. There's just no way that we can take God's credit for that, right? He's, he, you know, he removes the pride. Uh, he, you know, in verse 7 it says, Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation. This is when he's talking about when he had that experience. It happened about 14 years before he wrote this letter that he had this experience where he was raptured into the third heaven. He's talking about himself when he's talking about I know a man. He's really talking about himself. That he was raptured into the third heaven and he saw all these things. He, says he could have boasted about those revelations. He could have said, hey, look at, what, look at what I saw. But he didn't. He didn't. He said, lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. A messenger of, of Satan. Okay? A messenger was given to him. A thorn in the flesh to keep him from exalting himself and thinking that it was him that was doing all of this work. So embracing our weakness does that. Um, you know, God obviously uh, doesn't really like pride. Um, and, uh, you know, it's something that we need to really consider. Uh, so when we, when we look upon our weaknesses, God allows us to, to be humble and remain humble and stay humble and uh, acknowledge him. The second point that, I, that Paul looks upon is that embracing um, his weakness keeps us focused on God's grace. Keeps us focused on God's grace. Okay, what does the Lord, what does Paul say uh, happened to him when he asked the Lord three times to take away his thorn in the flesh? His answer was, my grace is sufficient. In our weaknesses, God is going to give us grace. He is going to give us whatever we need to be able to accomplish the task that he has laid out for. I'll be honest with you. The only reason why I'm out here preaching is because I don't want to be disobedient to the Lord. Because I do have a little bit of a, I don't know, maybe some form of ADHD. I can read a bunch of stuff, but in my mind it's all scrambled. It's all scrambled, and I struggle to put it in order. But God's mercy is always good, right? God's mercy is always good. So he keeps us humble. He gives us grace. He gives us those, the ability to be able to accomplish the task that he has for us. 
And if we um, do not allow God to humble us, or we don't humble ourselves before the Lord, uh, thinking that we can do all of these things, then God's grace becomes very limited in our lives. God's grace becomes very limited in our lives. So if you go to Proverbs, just one verse really quick on Proverbs, because we're kind of, we have a little bit of time still, but we're kind of running out a little bit. So if you go to Proverbs chapter 16, verse 5. It says, everyone, everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, none will go unpunished. Everyone proud in heart, is an abomination to the Lord. Paul, looking at it from a spiritual perspective, again, he could have boasted about all his qualities, all his accomplishments, all his preparation, but he chose to go this route and give the, all the glory to God. So embracing our weakness will keep us humble. First point. Second point is that embracing our weakness will keep us focused on God's grace. One thing that really caught my attention when I was, you know, when I was um, researching this or setting this up is that I went back to Moses in the uh, Old Testament, right? When God is telling Moses that he wants him to go to Pharaoh, he wants him to go tell him, hey, let my people go, let my people go. And Moses begins to argue with the Lord. He says, Lord, I really can't speak well. You know, start putting all his excuses, right? Puts all these excuses. I can't do that. I, I, I don't speak well, you know. I'm not really... And to the point where God, where God got angry at him, right? And he tells him, who made the tongue? Who made the tongue? He says, you go. You go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Sends him along with Aaron. And look at the miracles that God accomplished. All we have to do is trust the Lord that regardless of our, ability, of our, of our difficulties, um, that God will bring us through. Right? So, so God's, God's uh, um, grace uh, is certainly there uh, with us. The third point that I want to share with you guys in Paul's defense of himself, instead of using all of, that, all of his qualities, is that uh, embracing our weakness will display Christ's power in our lives. Embracing our weakness will display Christ's power in our lives. When these Judaizers accused Paul of being um, weak, of being uneducated, of being unprepared, you say, Christ's power is the one that's shown, right? Christ's power is, is the one that was, it was what was shown. Because in, God, in our weaknesses, Christ's power is manifested. Uh, and if we go to Psalm 121, we'll share another verse there that kind of uh, has a little bit of, of that information. One twenty one, verses 1 and 2. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Where will my help come from? It will come from the Lord. It will come from the Lord. He told Joshua, right, when Moses died, he says, hey, he says, you're going to go over there. You're going to take the people, and you're going to go over the Jordan, and you're going to take over the, the promised land. He says, I will be with you. I will not forsake you. 
And then we got to these stories, right? It just, it just kind of just came to me when Joshua was getting ready to go to war. And he, see this, and, he sees, and he sees the captain of the Lord. He says, Lord, are you with us or against us? Are you for us or against us? And God allows them to see the army that was there. Wow. We have that kind of army on our side. We have the most powerful being that has, I can't say that, that, that has ever existed because, because he's self-existent. There really is no excuse for us. There really isn't. Because if this almighty being is on our side and he gives us the strength and he gives us the grace and he helps us to remain humble, if he tells us to go and we don't go, it's because we don't want to. Well, I don't have the ability. I don't have the ability, but by God's grace, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to do it. It's trusting who he is. Psalm 73, 26 says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Regardless of what our physical abilities may or may be or not be, Regardless of the challenges that we may have, God will see us through. I can't remember this individual, but I, I remember hearing him years ago. It was, uh, I don't remember his name. Maybe somebody, maybe one of you guys would, uh, would remember. It's, it's this, this preacher who has Down syndrome. Oh, no, um, cerebral palsy. He has cerebral palsy. I can't remember his name. But he would come out on uh, Dr. Dobson and different, you know, different radio shows. And he has cerebral palsy, and he would go out there, and he would, he would, he would preach. He, he refused to take government help because he felt that God had called him to go do that. And one statement that he made really, really kind of stuck to me. He said, I have cerebral palsy, but cerebral palsy doesn't have me. I'm not sure if, that, if, if, if he's still alive, but if you guys, I'll, find, I'll try and find it and then share it with you guys. Uh, so, what, what I'm, what, you know, again... Our difficulties, our physical difficulties, mental challenges, whatever we think is an obstacle for us to serve God, I would dare to say it's just an excuse. Because Paul is showing us right here that regardless of our way we may be, he gives us strength. He gives us strength. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 29, 26-29 says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. What was Paul's argument in his defense? That he would rather boast in his weakness, that he will not rely on his abilities, that he will not rely on his credentials, that he would not rely on his experiences, that he will, that he will basically focus on his weakness because his weakness will keep him humble. His weakness will manifest 
Christ's grace in his life and his weakness will show Christ's power in everything that he did. And to end, I'm going to share this story with you guys. I downloaded it from the internet. I didn't make this up. I don't know the author, but, but uh, I, I, thought, I thought it was a story that, that would fit in well with the message. And the story is titled, Boy Learned Judo, Strength or Weakness. A 10-year-old boy decided to study judo from an old Japanese judo master, despite the fact that he had lost his left arm in a devastating car accident. After three months of training, the master had taught him only one move. When he asked this, the master says, this is the only move you know, but this is the only move you'll ever need to know. Not quite understanding, but believing in his teacher, the boy kept training. Several months later, the master took him to a tournament. Surprising himself, the boy easily won his first two matches. The third match proved to be more difficult, but after some time, his opponent became impatient and charged. The boy deftly used his one move to win the match. The boy was now in the finals. This time, his opponent was bigger, stronger, and more experienced. For a while, the boy appeared to be overmatched. Concerned that the boy might get hurt, the referee was about to stop the match when the master intervened. No, let him continue. Soon after the match resumed, his opponent made a critical mistake. He dropped his guard. Instantly, the boy used his move to pin him. The boy had won the match and the tournament. On the way home, they reviewed every move in each and every match. Then the boy summoned the courage to ask why he could win the tournament with only one move. You won for two reasons, he said. First, you've almost mastered one of the most difficult throws in all of judo. And second, the only known defense for that move is for the opponent to grab your left arm. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, to thank you for your mercy, to thank you for your kindness, to thank you, Father, uh, for uh, just your faithfulness in our lives, Father. And we pray, Lord, that as we go on our lives, Lord, that we continue to trust you in everything uh, in our lives, Father, that if you call us to serve, that if you call us to become involved, uh, that if you call, call us, Father, to continue to develop, that we be obedient, Lord, and that we do not use uh, any excuse, Father, uh, to stop our growth. Uh, I pray for our, our, our Crosspoint family, uh, that you will be with us, Father, that you would guide us, Lord, and that you continue to direct the leadership, Father, um, in the path that you would want for us to, uh, to be on, Father. We thank you, Lord. Uh, ask for your dismissal in this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, brethren.